The Start. On Demand. On demand. Good morning. It is the start. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Sons McGarry, Greg Mackling back with you on this Monday morning. Good morning, Loren. Good morning. How are you doing? How was the holiday? The holiday was great. I did a lot of work. As you know, I was busy in the backyard doing uh, some things that my body didn't uh, really agree with. Was wishing that maybe I had... <laughs> hired somebody else to do it, but I survived and I'm here. I'm feeling like a fish out of water as I look over Winnipeg from 30 stories up. I genuinely, Loren, do not remember the last time I was in this building. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I uh, We talked about this uh, over the weekend that, you know, one of us should probably go in and who's allowed to go in because, of course, we have COVID measures in place. And then I thought, I don't know if either of us even know how to get in that building, let alone which buttons to hit once we're in there. You haven't been there for a couple months. And of course, I haven't been there since March, mid-March 2020. So yeah, welcome back is, is a, has a whole other meaning when you're physically returning to the workspace. No question about it. And uh, right off the bat, I didn't have a, bush, a button pushed. And so Jeff Forche had to bail me out right off the top here. So um, this is sort of reminding me of the whole conversation about the Jets entering the second round, rest versus rust, what sh- shall prevail. Hopefully uh, our show today isn't as disastrous as round two was for the Jets. Uh, the good news was I started off right. I did remember my pass key. I didn't really remember exactly where I'd put it uh, several weeks ago, but tracked it down and and here we are. So I'm speaking with uh, double vaxxed Loren McNabb on this National Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes, I was astrophized on Friday. I, I'll, I'll admit that I uh, was teary going through it uh, as she put the needle in and she and she could tell I was sort of breathing heavily and she goes just just breathe slowly it's okay I'm almost done and I said no no you're not bugging me this needle is not bugging me I'm just glad that this part is over I'm not pretending like we won't maybe have booster shots down the road or there'll be something else coming but just to know that that has happened and I have two more weeks until I'm in the clear to potentially hopefully if things go well maybe leave the province or go see some family members or all the rest it's just a it's such a huge deal and I was fascinated watching the different faces and ages and all the rest of the people in line with me a super slick process and uh, I'm thankful I'm thankful this morning and I'm and I'm thankful that we're here because First of all, we it's it's summer, but most importantly today, June 21st, is National Indigenous Peoples Day, Greg, and we have so much we want to discuss with that throughout the day on CJOB. Yeah, no question. You're going to hear uh, many stories of empowerment, stories from our own First Nations communities and how they're hoping to help all of us better understand the past. It's a big part of the discussion. Mackling, McNabb. Forche, Braun, Poitras, no McGarry today, no McGarry this week. He'll be back on Monday. We want to present to you a challenge, <laughs> the challenge of instructions. And I think they've become increasingly worse over time, Loren, as we move away from the printed instructions. And you mentioned IKEA. Other than the name of the product, there are no words on the instructions, just pictures and stick people trying to give you the essence of what it is to put together or whatever it might be you've purchased from them, whether it's a wardrobe, whether it is a vanity or some other piece of furniture. And so people lament the instructions on the IKEA furniture, but we saw something that might be equally disturbing, bothersome, cumbersome, and it has lots of words on it. 
It has too many words on it. And as I look at it now, you've tweeted this out so you can find the sign that the city of Winnipeg posted for its parking guide experiment at GMACWPG. That's Greg's Twitter handle. And I'll retweet it right now because I can't, looking at it, I can't figure out what the actual rules are. But parking in Winnipeg to get more people downtown, on particularly on weekends, they changed the rules. They started to offer some free parking, but it's a two-hour complimentary parking on all on-street locations except around Health Sciences Centre, and then that's different from the rules that are in place during the week. And so they came up with this sign, which I can't even describe to you guys. It has It's color-coded. Green is kind of go, and red means you can't. But there's... 14 different columns. I don't know. I don't know what, guys, I don't know what's free and not. I, if I was looking at this, you, I think you get free for two hours and then you pay after two hours. I don't get how you're supposed to read that when you're trying to park. Like you're in your car and you're on the street, you're blocking traffic. How are you supposed to read that sign? It'd take you forever. <laughs> yeah, you have to get out and you literally have to read it. It's a good point, Jeff. So anyway, the sign is up. It's an experiment by the city of Winnipeg. They are asking for your feedback. And to be fair to whoever created that, they were handed a boondoggle and then said, make this make sense. So I'm not knocking the person who made this sign, but it had us thinking, Greg, this morning, the worst instructions that you've ever received, whether it's with furniture, whether it's with a board game, whether it's just in life. What are they? Jeff Braun, let's start with you, my friend. First off, that sign, I think it might be like a, a sly backdoor way for the city to try to get more people to take the bus. Because if you see that sign, you just think, well, I'm not going to park at all. I'm going to go home, leave my car there, get on the bus and come back down. Uh, for me, it was you mentioned the Health Sciences Center. I had ran into trouble there. It must have been six or seven years ago. I went to visit somebody on a Sunday morning, and I got this amazing spot right outside the hospital on the street, just like steps away from the door i couldn't believe my luck but i chalked it up to being early on a sunday morning i was like oh maybe not a lot of people come to visit at that time and i went inside had a good visit with my friend in there and when i got out saw the 300 hundred dollar ticket on the windshield because i was in fact in the uh, disabled parking spot there was this big massive sign like the one we've been talking about on the side of the road there and it had different instructions for a hundred different things going on in that sign as well. But uh, I, I missed the part in the in the corner. There was the big blue part that uh, indicated to me that I had no business parking there in the first place. So I sort of had to eat that ticket. But uh, that was also a, a sign issue that I did not care for. But again, it's user's fault because I, I should have paid a little bit more attention. Cameron, I hope that your faux pas didn't cost you $300. Uh, no. No. Um, well... I'm, this is one thing I'm thankful for Winnipeg for, right, is that we don't have numbered streets. I don't like numbered streets. The 17th Avenue, Southwest, 17th Street, Northeast, it's it's more confusing. And you, you go into places where, and, when I, and I lived in other, in other towns and, and cities and stuff like that. It, people are like, if you're in a town with numbered streets, you think it's the greatest thing ever. And I always love named streets. I grew up with named streets. This is what I know. There's only one Salter, even though it goes into Isabel and Colony and oh, on, turns on Osborne. Ignore that part. There's probably another one, too. <laughs> and there's about 15 of those uh, re region in there. But like once you, once you figure things out, it's like, okay, I know what part of the city that is. It's understood. But when 
I found it so confusing when I first moved to Calgary and there was 17th Avenue East, uh, Northeast, and then there was 17th Street North, and the people just said 17th, and they just assumed that you knew what they were talking about. So I, I hate numbered streets. I, I can't stand them. I never got them. It's, oh, it's so easy. You just go one after the other. If you're looking for 15th, but it doesn't work that way because 16th Avenue doesn't exist, and then there's uh, 8th Avenue is on the other side. <laughs> it's... Just I like I'm just thanking Winnipeg for never switching to this number street nonsense and sticking with beautiful named streets. You know, even if they don't always make sense. Eighth Avenue is the Stephen Avenue Mall. Like yeah, they just right. throw that right yeah. in the middle of it all. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 sixth is for the the C train. That's a great point. Yeah. Je- Jeffrey Forche, you're gonna have to wrap things up for us here. Oh, for me, it's it's cooking. Like when you look up recipe on the internet. Just give me the basics. Don't go into this long thing of, you know, you got to do this with the water and you got to do this with the egg. Just give me the simple, basic instructions. Don't make it complicated. I'm already a terrible cook. I just can't do it. No folding, no whisking, no just stir, mix, fold, add. Fold, oh, the fold thing about that cheese. is, what does folding mean? Like, then you have to Google folding, and you're like, what? Fold in the cheese. I don't know. It came to my head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Uh, Jeff Braun, Jeffrey Forge, Cameron Poitras, Loren McNabb. We'll have to get your story uh, in a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a story from Friday that uh, uh, just actually uh, befuddled me. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry returns next week. Uh, McNabb, are you on holidays next week? How, how's this working? Nope. I'm filling in with for Jeff Courier next week, and I think. And then I'm on holidays. Okay. And then so, someone so, else so, is on holidays. Oh, yeah. I, it's the constant revolving door now for the next 13 weeks or so. As we make our way through the summer, we appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Uh, not necessarily a summer-like day, but it is the first full day of summer. And, of course, Today is National Indigenous Peoples Day here in Canada. And at 780-6868, we are looking for your worst instruction story in honor of some, what some are calling, and I'll count myself in this court. Loren, I think you can uh, count yourself in this court as well. Some less than clear instructions that the city of Winnipeg has rolled out in an attempt to clarify some of the downtown parking restrictions. It is an experiment. And Pete asked the best question of all so far, Loren, at 780-6868. Instructions? Who reads instructions? Well, that's just it. You do often open them up, take a look at them and think, no, thank you. And we were playing board games on the weekend with the kid. We pulled out kids. We pulled out Clue. And I said to the kids, did you read the instructions? And they said no, because I couldn't remember. You know, I haven't played in 35 plus years. And then my husband was reading them. And at one point, we just decided to make up our own rules because I I did not get what they were telling us to do as we went from the ballroom to conservatory or whatever the heck it was. So that that's an old game. I don't know if that one's coming back for us. It was Colonel Mustard in the kitchen, by that's the way. That's a candlestick. Yeah. Oh, the candlestick. Yeah. Mm. Loren, you've put together something special for us that we'll hear in about 38 minutes time. What's that all about? 7.45, I'm going to share with you the truly amazing success story of an Indigenous-owned company. They It started with a, a woman and her husband and their idea 
in their home and how it's grown by leaps and bounds is truly incredible. But what they're about to launch next week is really what has them excited and me excited. I cannot wait to share their story with you and the emotion that she's feeling. Again, in her words, no option to fail here. They're moving forward and their success story is tremendous. So that's at 745. So as we celebrate National Indigenous Peoples Day, we want to visit with our good friend, Michael Redhead Champagne. Michael has become an incredible leader in our community. He's led efforts to make our city a better place to live by focusing on his neighborhood almost 10 years ago. And I can't believe it's been this long, Michael. He co-founded the Meet Me at the Bell Tower event. Uh, These are get-togethers on Friday evenings, an effort to end violence in the community where he lives. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. So let's start with today's celebration and, and why should it be important for all Canadians? Well, today's National Indigenous Peoples Day, and uh, I want to begin by saying Happy National Indigenous Peoples Day to all of you and the folks listening today. But I think this is a celebration for everybody because all folks in Canada are actually living on Indigenous land, and I think this is a great day for us to acknowledge um, how good all of our lives are because of the land that we live on. And so, so what, yeah, what... today's National Indigenous Peoples Day. So if you have Indigenous folks in your lives, I would say reach out, uh, be you know, send a message of support, and um, do a little bit of digging. Today's a good day for us to do some learning, um, and there are many, many different ways for us to take action if we want to support Indigenous people, especially here in Winnipeg. Well, you mentioned learning. I think that's so key, Michael, with what we're, we're, we're hoping that more and more of us do, right? There's awareness that needs to happen, but there's also just ways to educate ourselves. So where, do you, where would you suggest we start beyond just wishing people a happy National Indigenous Peoples Day? What, what should we do to educate ourselves? Well, some people maybe don't know this, but um, in the 90s, there was this thing called the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People. Um, and part of that Royal Commission was that they wanted to create a national holiday called um, National Indigenous Peoples Day. But in the beginning, it was actually um, called Aboriginal Solidarity Day. And I just want to emphasize for a second that concept of solidarity, because I think often uh, we have these conversations about celebrations, which obviously I love. But I think it's important for us to think about solidarity. And solidarity means that we show support for people that are in um, circumstances that are possibly different than our own. And I think in recent weeks, all of Canada has seen the, the you know, very difficult circumstances that Indigenous people um, are in as it relates to intergenerational trauma with Indian residential schools and um, the, the, the many different situations where there are unmarked graves in these residential schools. And these things have been documented all the way, you know, for for many, many years, especially since 2015 when the Truth of Reconciliation Commission came out. And so I think that um, solidarity is a concept that all of us really need to bring to the forefront this year. And solidarity means that we will, you know, provide support and listen to the experiences and take the direction of those who have been um, most impacted. And so for me, as an Indigenous person in the north end of Winnipeg, I've been impacted in a number of different ways um, by, by, I guess, uh, intergenerational trauma. My mother went to Indian residential school. I'm a product of the child welfare system. Um, I see a lot of poverty in um, the, the communities around me and many of the folks that I'm working with are Indigenous people. So it's important for me to say that um, on National Indigenous Peoples Day, despite all of those difficult things, 
I'm super grateful to the Indigenous leaders, First Nation, Métis, and Inuit in Winnipeg and beyond who have been sharing their teachings and knowledge with all of us because I think it makes um, our communities a little bit safer, a little bit stronger when Indigenous people have their basic needs met and we're all able to share our knowledge with one another. I, I actually, last thing I'll say on this and we can move on, is that I do believe Indigenous knowledge is going to save the world. And so National Indigenous Peoples Day is a great day to share that with all of you. I wish I could explore that last statement you made a little bit further, Michael. We'll have to bring you back to do that. But you mentioned solidarity. And in our community, so often uh, we think of downtown Winnipeg as downtown somewhere else, that it's not necessarily a part of Winnipeg. It's, it's, it's the same with the North End, I find, that we will listen to the crime report. We'll hear the horrific stories uh, of homicides in our community or other violent crimes. And we listen for the address. And as long as it fits in a certain geographical location, many of us go, oh, that doesn't really affect me. Talk about what happened in your community on Friday night and how your neighbors are being affected uh, based on that, uh, not only since Friday, but for a long, long time now, that notion that the North End is where all the crime happens. Yes, uh, I want to take a moment and um, send all of my condolences to the family of the 12-year-old child who was killed on Friday night here in the north end of Winnipeg. Um, There was a a violent act, and of course we don't know all the details yet, but we know two groups of of young people met one another. There was the altercation, and in the end, a 12-year-old boy has passed away. And so these are the types of things. And there's been a lot of... uh, homicides in Winnipeg in recent days, especially as um, the weather has warmed up. And so it's it's heartbreaking to see um, all of the homicides happening in Winnipeg, but it's especially heartbreaking to see that a 12-year-old child was our most recent victim. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sorry to that family. And I think it reminds me of all the vigils and all of the many times I've had to support families in the North End of Winnipeg recently and the grief that they feel. And so, so often when these things happen, it's simply um, families that have not been able to provide basic needs to their family because of some of those things I was talking about earlier, relating to things like intergenerational trauma, relating to poverty. And so when people don't have their basic needs met, you know, they're going to go out and try to meet those needs in the way that they can. And it sounds to me like there are some young people in the North End of Winnipeg right now that need a sense of belonging, that need opportunity. Um, and so I really, I'm grateful that there are so many groups and organizations in the North End that are working towards providing those things to community members. But what I'm seeing now is that we have to do more. Something more has to be done in Winnipeg to stop the violence. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm happy to ask the question, what do we need to do in Winnipeg to stop this violence? Because my strategy has always been to go directly to the family and those who have been most um, involved and affected by this, bring folks together and ask them, what do you need? And so I guess my question to our listeners today is, what do we need in Winnipeg to stop this violence? Because we are on an uptick and uh, something has to change because we can't keep having headlines where children are the victims of homicides in, in our community. Um, it's not acceptable. Michael, let's continue to ask those questions together. We appreciate your input always. And, and once again, all the best to you on this National Indigenous Peoples Day. We appreciate you very much. 
Appreciate you as well. Happy Monday to you. We're inviting you to interact on a variety of different things, including the worst instructions you've ever had to deal with. 204-780-6868 via text. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you on this Monday. Brett's back next week. Question of the day. Another way you can interact with us, globalnews.ca or cjob.com. Question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca or call 204-987-6890. And Loren, the question, I think we can let this roll for a little bit here. It looks like we're on track to meet our vaccination goals set for Canada Day. Do you think July 1st is the right time to slowly start reopening? Two choices, yes, it's time, or no, it's too soon. It's a very close horse race, so to speak. You can weigh in. Once again, cjob.com, question of the day. And of course, lots of people wondering if we might hear more about that this week, because in theory, we're at uh, more than 70% with our first dose. We're just shy of 25% with second dose. And again, we're going off yesterday's numbers. So I suspect by today, we will in theory have met those targets. So does that mean reopening happens sooner or is more tied to case counts and what we're seeing with the variant? And so after eight, we're going to speak with Jason Kindredchuk, who of course, this is his specialty. What will we need to watch for in the days ahead when it comes to cases and hospitalizations. And again, that variant, which seems to be best battled by two doses, not one. And so we'll hear more from him at 8.07. Yes. And of course, in just a few moments time, Loren, you've worked hard on a feature with some excellent news for uh, a Winnipeg-based entrepreneur who's uh, grown a company uh, to a very exciting point. I don't want to give too much of it away, but you'll want to stick around for that. But quickly, before we take a pause and get to that feature, we do want to invite your text messages, as I mentioned, 204-780-6868. The City of Winnipeg is trying out some new instructions for its uh, ever-evolving and and seemingly ever and forever difficulty the people have with those uh, parking instructions and parking rules. So they've uh, developed a sign that they're trying out. You can see it at my on my uh, Twitter handle is GMAC, G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. You can check out the sign there. And Deborah says, oh my gosh, that gives me a headache just looking at it. So they're trying to clarify some things, but we want to know from you because we have a Manitoba Turkey producers prize pack. It's got a it's got a three to five kilogram turkey in it, a reusable insulated grocery bag, a digital meat thermometer, and much else. We want to give that away based on the best story here. And Bruce sent me an email actually, Lorenzo. So I don't know if you've seen this one. Mm-hmm. My wife actually got these. Uh, Bruce is uh, is blind and a very loyal listener to the program, and he sends us great emails. He says that. My wife is also blind and years ago was given a bread maker by her parents. It was a talking bread maker. Sounds ideal. Came with an audio cassette of instructions. Sounds good so far. Well, Bruce says the reader was extremely bored and kind of coasting her way through the instructions. She got to the section on yeast and said the following. Yeast is a living orgasm. Oh, 
My wife called the company that sold the bread maker, and the agent at the other end of the phone just about fell off her chair laughing. And uh, I did a similar thing as well, Bruce. When organism, I read your email. the word they were going for was organism, I'm yes. guessing. But yeast is hard to work with. That's another thing Fortier mentioned recipe instructions. I'm not much of a baker, and for the first time ever, Tried to make buns a few months ago in this pandemic and yeast, it had to, I don't know, it had to bubble or it has to look a certain way. And if it weren't for the internet, I wouldn't really know what they mean by that, right? Because the instructions on the packet say, wait for it to show a bubbling effect, but not too thick. And I don't know, I was like, I don't know what the heck they mean. And my buns were terrible, so I'm blaming it on the yeast. But I uh, but I wish I had had those instructions. They're at least funny. And it, and it leads into our text we got from Christy. Greg, because it's about those oral instructions, right? And so, so many of us now use GPS. And Chrissy says, my mom, sister, and I took a trip to New Mexico in 2011. We rented a car and had to figure out how to get to our hotel. The car came equipped with GPS. And so for us never having been to this place, we programmed the GPS for our hotel using the instructions, please use the least amount of freeway driving. So... Okay, she says. We head out. GPS tells us to take the first exit. Off we get. Continue straight. Okay, merge back onto the freeway. Off they get. Merge back onto the freeway. Next exit. Take the next exit and continue straight. And they think, okay, maybe this one we're finally getting off the freeway. Nope. Gets off the freeway, then merges back onto the freeway. So they did this a bunch of times before realizing it was going to just take them on and off every exit to limit the freeway driving, although they were always getting back on the freeway in between. And so they just gave up and eventually found their way. But you find yourself yelling. So Bruce's wife laughed at the bread maker machine and its faux pas with the wrong word. And I can only imagine, no, I don't want freeway, was being shouted at the GPS on that trip to New Mexico. So that text was from Chrissy. Yeah, they were just using the frontage road uh, all the way along, or the service road, as they call it in the United States. And uh, one time in Minneapolis, my buddy and I were looking for a hotel. He said that he'd stayed at it, oh, just a few weeks before. He says, it was on Frontage Road. I'm like, what? It was on Frontage Road. I'm like, Jared, those are all the streets that run parallel to the freeway. They're all frontage (laughs) roads. And so we finally figured that out and finally found our hotel. It is National Indigenous Peoples Day. And in this segment, we want to celebrate some truly special entrepreneurs, Loren McNabb. Yeah, the number of Indigenous-owned businesses is truly growing in this province and country. And and here in Manitoba, in exactly one week, a new store will open at our largest mall. And the people behind it believe it's perhaps a first for Polo Park. So it's a clothing line for everyone. But the key here is that this store is Indigenous-owned and run. The store is the second company launched by a Winnipegger whose goal is to reclaim a controversial acronym as their own. So this is just kind of our shipping extra stock overflow. As Michelle Cameron moves from room to room, we do jerseys, team apparel, the track suits. You can hear the pride in her voice despite the muffling effect of her mask. So this is my baby. This is promotions is me. Dreamcatchers Promotions, with office and retail space at Pegwas First Nations Winnipeg location, is a business she started from the ground up. But it's not what she sells that keeps her going. It's who's selling it. What I enjoy is hiring somebody new. That's that's what 
what's it for me you know what i mean to bring on another person another indigenous person as part of the family here and you know that's another family that is supported because of drink catcher promotions a business that started with family I had, my husband and I had uh, came up with an idea that it would be cool to start embroidering jackets because everywhere we would go, we were heavily involved in um, First Nation tournaments and the First Nation community. So we seen that there was a lot of opportunity there. So I bought an embroidery machine, just one, and then I learned how to embroider uh, garments just by myself so you on just YouTube. Taught yourself how to embroider like yes. videos. Yes. Yes. You too. And how, how <laughs> I can't that? even sew. You give me a needle and thread, and I still probably couldn't even sew a straight line. But teams started ordering clothes through Dreamcatchers. Then businesses looking for corporate branding on a shirt or jacket began calling too. So Michelle made her mom her first hire, got a loan through the First People Economic Growth Fund, and moved from her home to an office and then warehouse space. Totally, totally scared. And then I, I second-guessed myself over and over and over. Within a few years, they had a staff of 10 and moved again from 1,000 square feet to 5,000, then 8,000. This is our retail side of Dreamcatcher. The latest more... includes a store. It's in Headley, just on the outskirts of Winnipeg. And today the shop not only has racks of clothes for teams or businesses to put their own logo on, there is also clothing with Indigenous designs, sayings, and work by other artists. In the midst of the pandemic, they've gone from a staff of 12 to 27, including more family. I moved here from Ontario to come and help Michelle here. And That's Sherry um, Langlois. She's the office manager and Michelle's sister. And her mask can't mask the smile she's wearing as she talks about their growth and what's coming next. Another company, a clothing line with a store in Manitoba's biggest mall, Polo Park. We're in the largest indigenous urban center urban population yet we're so underrepresented in the general public you know we want to be there we want to be front front and center to represent our people with the name indigenous nations apparel company but it's really all about the acronym INAC the same acronym once used by Ottawa for the old department of Indian and Northern Affairs Canada often shortened in First Nations communities and government, to INAC. All these years, INAC was perceived as something negative. It's like it was like the governing body of our people, and it, it was never perceived as something positive. We want to take INAC back and turn it into something positive. You know what I mean? When people reference INAC, let's get it away from the stigma it had all these years and it turned into something really cool really fun. people enjoy sharing the the name and comment on it oh. joe villaverde does the social media and says inac is already buzzing you can kind of tell there's a a bit of that like second take people have when they see the name they're like wait 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 what they're opening an inac in polo park what they they associated with the original inac and then they realize oh they're making an apparel company and then they realize that that's super clever and it's super cheeky and, 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 and it's great. So there's been a lot of positive response on it. The store opens next week, but the sign is already up. Bold white letters over red so that INAC acronym pops. And it, it, there is no option to fail here. And it's really, it's like you're making a cut. <laughs> but it's really important, you know, for young people to come in and see an indigenous store and pull apart and buy a shirt. You know, you don't see that ever, you know, so it's, and I hope it inspires young people 
that you can do this, you know, because you can. You have to set your mind to and don't ever give up. You know, it's really important. Like I speak As Michelle eventually pauses to grab a tissue, her sister wiping away her own tears, Lance Scott, operations manager, weighs in. Yes, they're reclaiming the INAC name, but also staking their claim, period. The opportunity uh, to grow and to expose ourselves in such a visible place is something that has been sorely needed. You know, we're making history in doing this. You know, we're opening up a store in a pandemic in Polo Park Mall, which there's never been. So for us, failure is not an option. We're, we're changing pulling. the narrative. Yeah, it's just we're like... Ch- we're changing the narrative. Their eyes are on the future, but no matter how far they've come, it's clear that narrative will always have space to raise awareness about the past. This is our orange shirt. Command center. Back at Dreamcatcher's Promotions, Michelle's first company, shelves full of orange shirts are ready to be shipped out. Every child matters is the statement that is used every year. This room is not about profit. We actually donate the proceeds back to the Orange Shirt Society and uh, Manitoba-based residential school survival program here in Manitoba locally. It's about putting the spotlight on residential schools. For us, it's dear to our heart. Mm -hmm. Our mother was a survivor, all my aunts. Some of our staff were survivors, so it's really important. And it comes from the heart and it comes from here. And whether she's talking about residential schools, her first company, Dreamcatchers, or her second, INAC, it's obvious everyone here wears their hearts on their sleeves. This is my mom. Oh, yay! Remember Michelle's first hire? Well, her mom can still be found at work with her daughters here for the next phase of their journey, a clothing company they hope will spark a renewed sense of pride and jobs. For me, all this is just stuff, you know what I mean? But it's the people here that matter to me. So, Greg, INAC opens next week. There will be that clothing line, but also a space for people to come in and they can put on their own designs because they're also going to be offering that screen printing service. They were so infectious, this, the people working there with all the things they wanted to share. And so you can still go to that retail shop that's also in Headingley at the Pegwas First Nation. But the, the thing that they also wanted to add, they've just were licensed with Under Armour, so they can now use Under Armour gear oh, for some wow. of their designs. So they've got all these amazing things happening. And, you know, at 707, we just talked to Michael Redhead Champagne, Indigenous advocate, about what can we do on this day? And he talked about solidarity. And so one of the questions I had for them was, well, can I wear these clothes? And Sherry Lingwah said, they get asked that all the time. You know, I'm not Indigenous. Can I wear your clothes? And she said wholeheartedly, yes, come in, show your support, wear it with pride. Doesn't have to be who you are. It's about sharing this all with everyone. So I cannot wait to see what this space looks like next week. Cannot thank you enough for bringing this story to us, Loren McNabb. Absolutely tremendous. What a great way to kick off our week. It is the start. Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns next Monday. Kathy Kennedy is in for Jeff Courier today as the holiday carousel begins in earnest here on 680 CJOB. One gentleman we can count on. His summer is just sort of getting going right now. Loren, he's been kind enough to join us every Monday for the last eight, nine months. Bob Irving joins us after Global News at 8.30. We will recap the ongoing uh, saga of the Canadian Football League, their quest to get back on the field. We'll talk a little Jets, a little golf, and uh, whatever else might uh, come up. And after 9.05, we want to tell you about uh, New York Times Best-selling author, where is she from? 
Loren. Right here in Winnipeg, and she's doing some tremendous things with picture books, sort of born out of uh, her experiences within the Indigenous community and also what she wants to share about their history and looking forward. And she became a new mom uh, recently, and that sort of inspired her desire to figure out a way to show the way forward for our kids. So we'll share more from her after nine. We start this hour with Manitobans wondering if we could hear more this week about our reopening plans. Yeah, I think this is a number that we all seem to know quite well, that the target was Canada Day and that there was this promise that some businesses and services could reopen at 25% capacity as long as we hit the following. 70% of Manitobans 12 and over with their first dose, 25% with their second shot. And again, we need to hit those by July 1. Well, the numbers as of yesterday at noon are 71% of Manitobans have had that first shot, age 12 and up, 24% their second. So we are clearly well on our way, but we will get updated numbers at noon today. And we should remind our listeners, vaccines are not the only thing to watch for when it comes to possible reopening. Jason Kinderchuk is an assistant professor at the U of M and Canada Research Chair for Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases and our guest this morning. Hi, Jason. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time because, you know, a lot of people were commenting over the weekend uh, about reopening. Saskatchewan announced yesterday, no masks by July 11th. Alberta is basically looking to open up much of its economy by July 1st. And so people are thinking, okay, what could be happening here? But we know vaccines aren't the only part of the equation. Yeah, we're pretty much in line with them when it comes to how many people have been vaccinated. But the same can't be said for our case counts here. What do we need to consider? Uh, yeah, we have, you know, the biggest thing is to try to consider that infection diseases are complicated by their nature. So, you know, try, try to focus on just one variable is, uh, is unfortunately a little bit foolhardy. Now, now we certainly are seeing a big difference with vaccinations, right? I think it's, it's pretty hard to argue that between vaccinations and restrictions, we haven't seen, uh, you know, a concomitant effect on, on decreased transmission in the community. To me, the big question is, can we sustain uh, the, the you know the, the decreasing uh, test positivity rates, but also what happens with Delta because that's really the big variable right now. Are we going to see a resurgence, or do numbers continue to, to decrease even though we see replacement of the the prior uh, circulating strain with uh, with the new variant? Well, let's talk about uh, the Delta variant in just a moment and its and its connection to vaccinations because we saw last week, Jason, uh, the Leela Supercenter here in Winnipeg open up to basically walk-ins and the lineups were absolutely unbelievable and unfortunately there were some people turned away, disappointed. They didn't have enough doses to satisfy everyone that, that wanted a dose of the vaccine. And then uh, Mylin B, PhD on Twitter, Uh, yesterday tweeted out, normally we give around 90% second doses and 10% first doses. Yesterday, it was about 75% first doses. What is the province doing right in the last couple of weeks here to encourage people to not only get their second dose, but apparently to jump on board and, and get that first dose of vaccine? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I, I know Malin through uh, through social media and through Twitter. So, you know, we, we, we've talked a little bit and, and certainly I don't have an answer for that. Right. So is it is it communication? Is it that, you know, there, there are more people that are getting concerned because of the news, because of Delta? I don't know. But to be fair, whatever it is, uh, you know, let, let's keep it going. And getting those first doses uh, is really important because it, it, get, it again gets back to the idea that we're getting 
um, at least some people from those you know communities where there's been hesitance or been reluctance for uptake coming out to get doses. And and to be fair, listen, as a as a glass half full kind of guy. You know, yeah, I, I'm I'm sad to hear that there are people certainly being turned away from doses, but I'm happy that there's also the uptake in people wanting to get vaccines uh, that, that are pushing it to the limit. So let's get the doses out, but be happy that we're getting people that want to want to actually get them in their arms. Yeah, we have a huge lineup as we speak at the Shoppers Drug Mart on Osborne of people looking for these walk-in. I think it's Pfizer shots that might be available there, Jason. So hundreds of people in line. And when you see that, you think, okay, that means people are are buying in. But the thing that I noticed when getting my second dose Friday was the comment from the nurse when she said, this is good. You have this combo and, and we need to have the two doses for that variant. And so what are we learning about the combination of vaccines, you know, whether it's Astrophys, as I said, or Astroderna or Pfizer-Derna or whatever it might be, and the efficacy on that variant. Yeah, listen, it's continually a changing playing field, right? So so what we understand about the mix and match combos right now is that, you know, we've heard from NASI that they're already recommending moving away from AstraZeneca alone to doing the mix. And and part of that is supply. Part of that is is obviously the concerns about uh, about the risks of blood clots. But the biggest thing in all of that is that the immune responses we've seen in people that have gotten the mix and match have been superior, which is something I think we, we you know, potentially anticipated, but we didn't necessarily know if we'd see. So what that tells us is that the vaccines, again, are working. Um, and I would also, again, caution everybody to think about the fact that all the variants that have been thrown at us, the vaccines have worked unbelievably well against. So when we think about robustness of these vaccines, that they, they've hit the mark and then some. Jason Kinderchuk, we appreciate your input on this topic and others always. Thank you for this and appreciate you joining us this morning on The Start. Thanks for having me. Mackling and McNabb with you on this Monday morning. Brett McGarry returns next week. CJOB question of the day, cjob.com, globalnews.ca. It looks like we're on track to meet our vaccination goals set for Canada Day. Do you think July 1st is the right time to slowly start reopening? Yes, it's time. No, it's too soon. The results are very close. Way in. We want to hear from you cjob.com question of the day brought to you by credit aid helping manitobans get out of debt since 1992 visit creditaid.ca or call them 204-987-6890 as well loren mcnab we want to give away some turkey stuff to people sharing their worst instruction stories yes that moment where you opened up maybe it's a piece of furniture and you think to yourself my gosh i cannot handle these instructions it might be the time that you uh were given directions somewhere and you thought they were terrible or it could simply just be like the instructions i received i was kloofing i think i've told this story before in south africa with my sister and that's when you kind of go into the mountains and you jump into ravines and rivers and that kind of thing you're not cliff diving but it's kloofing they call it and the instructor when we you know kept doing these small jump then a medium-sized jump and then we got to one of our largest jumps or highest jumps and I think it was maybe 20 feet up and he held out his hands about a meter apart and said jump between my left hand and my right hand here and here but not here and here he points just two inches away and I look at him and I was like that's not enough for me and I climbed my way back down because those instructions were going to lead to my early death and and that's one of my stories Greg. Bob Irving joins us now to start this half hour and Bob uh, that kloofing have you you're an adventurous sort have you ever heard of or attempted such a thing on your world travels? 
Uh, what was that again now? Cloofing. Oh. You like jump, basically you're just, it's like cliff diving, but it's on the inside of a mountain. So you jump on in the rivers or whatnot. You're not jumping oh into God. a lake or ocean. No, 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 no. I can barely get three steps up a ladder to clean my eaves troughs. I'm not, uh, I'm not jumping into anything. <laughs> That's a good answer, Bob. You and I are on the same page there. Uh, a, a late Happy Father's Day to you. You mentioned on social media that uh, all the kids checked in, and the grandkids. You got all your appropriate and desired Father's Day greetings, and then it was uh, essentially nailed to the couch for the rest of the day. Not a bad little weekend. Uh, NBA playoffs, U.S. Open golf, overtime action in the NHL playoffs and this of course on the heels of the big announcement one that a lot of Winnipeggers and I would say you in particular have been waiting for the CFL announcing its plan to hit the field August 5th uh, at IG Field with that Grey Cup uh, reunion um why don't we start with the U.S. Open rough yep. day for Canadian Mackenzie Hughes including a shot I don't think he could replicate for any amount of money well, if you've played enough golf, and I've played quite a bit, uh, and you have a ball that you hit stick in a tree, that would be a once-in-a-lifetime event, I would think. So Mackenzie Hughes, Mac Hughes from Ontario, who was tied for the lead going into the final round of the U.S. Open, had a, one of his shots, and it was an errant shot, so he deserved, I guess, to pay a price. But it bounced and stuck in a tree. And when that happens, you, first of all, you have to identify the ball and make sure it's yours. The one they had a shot of a camera shot of the ball nestled in the tree. Uh, and then it's a one-shot penalty, and you get a drop, and you continue to play the hole. It was a miserable break. Uh, a lot of the golfers on the PGA Tour would tell you they've never, ever had that happen to them. It's really a once-in-a-million thing. Uh, Mac Hughes had a tough final round, 77 on a very difficult course, and he wasn't alone, Greg. There were all kinds of the players who were at or near the top who had terrible final rounds. I guess the consolation for Mac Hughes is there's so much money, the purse is so big in the U.S. Open, he still won $177,000, even though he shot a final round 77 and faded off the leaderboard. John Rahm was the winner. He's from Spain. He's lived in the U.S. for many years. It's interesting. I remember two weeks ago, he had a six-shot lead going into the final round of the Memorial and had to pull out of the tournament because he tested positive for COVID. So after he won the U.S. Open yesterday, his first major, he said it was karma. Uh, they asked him, what, you know, why do you think you were able to put this round together and win this great title? He said it was karma. You know, what happened two weeks? I thought something good was going to happen to me before too long. And that's how he explained his great play in the final round to win the U.S. Open. I was so impressed, Greg and Loren, with his comments, and I have been for a long time with John Rahm. I follow golf very closely, as you guys know. He is a total class act. He always speaks with humility, appreciation for what they have on the PGA Tour. He never complained for a second when he had to pull out of the memorial and lose almost $2 million in guaranteed prize money. He just took it in stride. The way he carries himself is so impressive. So it was nice to see him emerge yesterday with his mom and dad there from Spain at his side. Uh, it was a great sign, uh, sight, rather. It really was. And uh, if you follow golf, there's no way you can possibly not feel good about this guy and, and how he represents the game. You mentioned what the purse was for McKenzie. What's the purse for winning the U.S. Open? $2.2 million. So he, not not a, not a bad day. Not a bad day for him. Let's yeah. talk hockey for a second, Bob, because uh, I've been really into this series. I've loved what what I have to say. I've 
I'm cheering for the Canadians right now. I like the way they're playing, but they are heading back to the desert all tied up with the Vegas Golden Knights after dropping that game uh, in overtime last night. I don't know if too many people would have had that series tied at two games apiece as, a, as the scenario heading into this. No, and I'd be one of those people, Loren. I wasn't sure they could stay with the Vegas Knights, but they have to their everlasting credit. Now, Carey Price has played a role in that. But the Habs are playing very, very well, and they played well enough to win that game last night. They lost it in overtime. I guess two nights earlier you could say they were maybe a bit fortunate because they were outplayed a fair bit. But, no, they've more than held their own in this series against a team that everybody uh, favored to win the series they've played tremendously well defensively their big four on defense Edmondson Petrie uh, Weber and Sherrod have been outstanding they've killed off 26 consecutive penalties against them their penalty killing has been out of this world and yeah you have to be impressed with them now I think uh, Vegas should still be favored they're going home with a 2-2 series uh, situation and the next game is in Vegas and if there needs to be a game seven it would be back in Vegas so I still like Vegas to win the series, but hey, Montreal fans should be very proud of their team, and uh, you know they've still got a shot to win this thing. Tomorrow, Wade Miller will join us on Breakfast with the Bombers, and we'll ask him a variety of questions, including uh, what will it take for you to be in the building on August 5th? I, I don't think there's any way that IG Field will be allowed to be at full capacity, as we've seen in so many uh, buildings uh, across uh, the United States, but what do you think is going to happen, Bob? How, how do you think the Bombers are going to decide who gets to be there when the Blue Bombers raise their 2019 Grey Cup championship banner? Well, how they go about deciding who will be there, Greg, will depend on how many people are allowed to be there. Season ticket holders obviously will get first first shot. Uh, now, if the stadium is allowed to be filled at half capacity, which would be about 17,000, that would take care of you know, a good bunch of the season ticket holders, and I don't know that that many will be allowed in. I know the Bombers are encouraged by what's happened in Saskatchewan and Alberta. Both those provinces basically on the weekend said on July 1 they're opening things up completely. I doubt that's going to happen here, but the way the numbers have gone down in the last few days and the vaccinations have gone up, you know, it's still a guessing game, Greg, but it, it certainly looks like, and we're talking August the 5th, it looks like the Bombers will be allowed to have a significant number of people in the stands. What is that? 10,000, 12,000, 8,000, 15, 16? I don't know. Nobody knows at this point. Uh, they're hoping the more the merrier. And then when they get the number, when they're told how many they can have it, and they'll be told by the health officials, then they'll go about sorting out who gets to go. And again, if it's in the 15, 16, 17,000 range, that would cover off a lot of the season ticket holders. If it's less than that, uh, I know Wade Miller's got a system devised. I don't know exactly how they're going to go about it logistically. I, I wouldn't want to be the one setting it up. Mm-hmm. But, they'll, but they'll sort that out. And, uh, you know, I would think the longest standing season ticket members would get first dibs and, you know, go down the line from there. Yeah, I ran into one of my best friends uh, yesterday. He was doing his yard work, and that, that's all he wanted to talk about. <laughs> was How am I going to get in that building on August 5th? He's had season tickets for a long time, but obviously not as long as others. So uh, lots of Blue Bomber fans asking, how are they going to decide? Like you say, whatever the number is, there will be a system in place to prioritize who can be in the building should the province allow anyone in IG Field. Bob, we could talk uh, for the rest of the program but we got to let you go. Have you had your walk yet? 
Yes, I have. I just th- let me throw one more thing in. Kelsey Wog, the swimmer from the University of mm-hmm. Manitoba, she won the women's 100-meter breaststroke at the Canadian Olympic swim trials in Toronto yesterday. She is going to be on the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, Kelsey Wog has been working hard for years to get to this point, so it was a great day for her. Absolutely uh, extraordinary athlete uh, from our province. Uh, well said. Bob, we'll talk to you next week, and uh, if we have to talk to you in the meantime, we'll, we won't hesitate to reach out. Have a great day, friend. Okay, and I'm available. Good to know. <laughs> Very good to know. Bob Irving. Oh, the the legendary... way you just said that sounded like a billboard. <laughs> put Hashtag. your face up on a billboard. I'm, I'm available. available. I like it. The first full day of summer, it's also National Indigenous Peoples Day. We are celebrating here on the start and all day long on 680 CJOB. And today in Jeff Braun's news, global news, you've been hearing about New York Times bestselling author and Winnipegger Tasha Spillett Sumner. Loren brought us a tremendous story about Indigenous Manitobans building a business and opening a location in Pola Park and reclaiming four letters which stood for oppression for such a long time in our country. And Michael Champagne, Loren, shared his hopes for building a better Winnipeg through solidarity. Yeah, he used the word solidarity and to reach out today and acknowledge your ind- Indigenous friends, your family members, your relatives, your co-workers, anyone you might have in your life that you need, you need to say, hey, happy National Indigenous Peoples Day too, but also to ask, what can I do? What can I do to better support you and better understand uh, maybe some of the challenges, some of the struggles, some of the success stories. You mentioned that success story we shared at 745 and, and this group in Winnipeg, uh, this business owner who is launching a clothing line at Polo Park Mall in a store and the letters, uh, the acronym that they're using for that clothing line. Well, it used to be a long ago, the um, acronym that was used often, INAC, Indian Northern Affairs Canada. That was the old name years ago. And she said, you know, it always came with a lot of negativity, not much positivity. So they're creating a store called INAC, which stands for Indigenous Nations Apparel Company. They're taking that name back and they're looking to rewrite the narrative. And so how can we help with that conversation? As so many people, Greg, look to not rewrite the history, but better help us better understand that history so we know how to move forward. Well, that's where our next guest wants to take us on a journey of understanding his own personal journey. Hopefully we will gain some insight and some benefit into the pain that that has been a part of his life. Bradford Billado is his name. He's a 60 scoop survivor and he's also a filmmaker. The first time I heard the term 60 scoop was back in college. I was sitting with my other Indigenous classmates talking about our home communities. When it came time for me to share, I realized I didn't have the same background as they did. I told them I grew up with a non-Indigenous family and not on a reserve. That's when one of my classmates whispered to her friend, 60 Scoop. 60 Scoop is when the government came and decided to start taking children, Aboriginal children, from their homes and put them in foster care or put them in the CFS care and they were they were spread all over the place. It wasn't done uh, properly. It wasn't, there was no paperwork for some of these kids. They were just basically just snatched up. They knocked on the door. Where's your kids? Oh, they're right here. And they would just grab them and take them away. 
and parents couldn't do anything about it because there was the police that were taking the kids, so you can't call anybody because the police are taking your kids. Lost Moccasin takes us all on a journey. It's Bradford Bilodeau's journey with his birth uncle about the day that Bradford and his siblings were all taken from their mother. Bradford, always great to connect with you, my friend. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, I can't believe you just played that. It just sent shivers down my spine Mm -hmm. listening to that documentary again. And I get that every time I listen to it as well. Uh, happy National Indigenous Peoples Day to both of you, and thank you for having me on the air today. And a happy National Indigenous Peoples Day to you, my friend. Hey, you know, I I only played a small portion of the film uh, and and an audio from it, but is is that the case? The first time you heard the terminology '60s scoop," something that had such an, a tremendous impact, really turned your life upside down, for lack of better terminology. The first time you heard that term was when you were in university. Yeah, I was at Red River College, actually, and I was taking a course there with other Indigenous uh, students, and they were talking about their, where they are from and their reserves, and I realized I was the only one there that didn't really know anything about my reserve. And, yeah, those two girls whispered 60s scoop, and that's the first time I heard that phrase. So your film, Lost Moccasin, it basically is you talking to the last relative, as Greg says, an uncle that really knew what happened during that time, uh, that that everyone was taken from their home in the 60s scoop. So it's one thing to talk about it and to discover it. It's another thing to live it. Mm-hmm. And that's your story. Uh, how hard was it to put that all together when it's so very deeply personal, Bradford? Well, it was the help of uh, Roger Boyer, the director. He pieced everything together. I just told my story. Mm-hmm. He laid it out in the 11-minute documentary that it is today. And this story has started for me well into the mid-'90s. So this has been going on for a while for me. Um, It wasn't something that just happened overnight. And I tell people that at my talks that I'm on a healing journey right now. And the journey started for me a long time ago. And I'm where I am today is because of the journey and I'm healing myself. I can have a family. I can have a a wonderful wife and three beautiful boys because of this journey. And just a shout out to my wife. We're expecting our fourth child this November. Mm -hmm. She's at work right now, pregnant 19 weeks. Congratulations, Congratulations. That is so wonderful. Now, I mentioned uh, earlier this morning when I told our listeners that you'd be joining us, uh, your your history and my history goes back a long way, (laughs) almost 30 years. And so it was difficult for me to watch uh, the documentary, Bradford, because some of the people you're talking about that didn't treat you very well, I knew them. I knew them very well, and I knew you quite well, but didn't know, obviously, what you had been through or what you were going through. And so I'd like to give you a hug uh, about not realizing what you were dealing with and and do that over the airwaves right now and wish that I had been able to, to, to converse with you about that. But this healing journey that you're on, why is it so important that you share that journey with the rest of us while you go on it yourself. It's one thing to do it on your own. It's another thing to to bring us along the way. Why is that so critical? Well, like Michael Champagne said, solidarity. Um, Big part of that is awareness. Um, There's a lot of people that just aren't aware of what happened. I still go to my talks and I look at their faces in the crowd when I'm talking. They're looking at each other going, when did this happen? Like, what's he talking about? And it's, it's times like that where I, I know I'm doing what I'm doing is right. <clears throat> and part of that is, is, is how I heal and how I get better and how I become a better person. 
and be a better father and husband. I have a couple questions, Brad, for just about the the word awareness that you used. First, your own personal awareness. So you talked about the idea that you were taken from your family when you were young from the Valley River First Nation and that you didn't learn until later in life that you were an adoptee. So are you still unraveling pieces of your history or do you feel like you have the complete picture there at least now? Oh, no, the complete picture is probably not even close to being here. Um, I'm learning lots and lots more about my birth dad and I learned what I could from my birth mom, from my uncle Bobby, who passed away too. Um, it's it's just a constant journey of healing and uh, piecing it all together, and taking my family along along the way. I mean, uh, we're getting our culture back. Uh, me and my boys were hoping to get our spirit names given to us, mm-hmm. and uh, I take them on sweats, and we hope to attend sun dances and powwows when the restrictions get better. Where do you go for that, Bradford? Like, you know, so here you are, an Indigenous man looking to reclaim some of your own identity, right? And so where have you turned to try to find the spaces for that, whether you mentioned going for a sweat or getting your spirit name? Like, who are the people that are helping you figure that all out? Because you're, you're re-educating yourself, too. I've been very fortunate to come along people that have helped me quite a bit. Um, Cedar Lake Ranch where my friends EJ and uh, Eva Wilson-Bontaine, they own that ranch, and they, they do culture camps there for people. Um, I have great friends like Sheldon Collins, uh, who's helped me along the way as well. And, like, I, I, there's just so many people to name, and I've been fortunate that they've come across my path, and they understand what I'm going through, and they're, they're just helping me with it. Bradford, um, I have a People's Exhibit 1 as to why... Your story is so important, not only to those of us who didn't live what you did, but to others who have. I just received a text message, and I want to read it to you. I hope to do it without breaking down here. Mm -hmm. I'm in the same boat as the gentleman you're speaking with. I did not hear about the 60s scoop until university. I was adopted into non-Indigenous family, but a very loving one. I'd never even heard of residential schools until university, and I was flabbergasted, but it started a road to full acceptance and healing. I have no more shame in who I am, and I'm very proud of my Indigenous roots. Sorry if I'm rambling, but wanted to say Bradford isn't alone, and there are many, many out there like us, and unfortunately many were not as lucky as I and and didn't get a loving, stable home miigwech yeah that's that's what it's all about right there right i think so i think so and and so when we talk about reconciliation we talk about building a better understanding and your journey how critical is it for you to understand the good the bad and the ugly of of where you've come from well it's i'm a father now so i have to make sure i know all these questions and that right because my boys are going to be looking for answers they're at that age where they're they're asking questions and that and i have to educate myself and i have to go some places where i have to find answers and they might not be good places but i have to go there anyway um the 215 in kamloops my boys were asking questions about that and i had to figure out a way how to answer them as best as i could so and like today we this morning we smudged and it's uh it's our day today so uh, we were uh, smudging and saying prayers for those kids in Kamloops. So I just, I have to keep going on this, right? Like I have to continue. 
Well, Bradford, we're privileged to have you in our life and, and have you on the show for this short time. I just Every time we speak with you and hear about your story, I think about the shock I feel of learning about the 60s scoop myself, let alone being someone like you who who was part of it, who was hurt by it, who was who was making a road to recovery. So thanks for what you're doing and keep keep uh, carrying on. It sounds like you're on the right, right path with you and your family. And good luck. Do you know what you're having for your fourth child? Uh, no, we don't. We haven't looked that far ahead. We've always kept it a surprise with the last three boys. <laughs> but we do have names. If it's a boy, it's Greg. And if it's a girl, it's Loren. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was all excited at the Greg, and then I thought, okay, yeah, he's pulling yes. my leg. Yeah. Well, one more thing, Bradford. Do you get, who picks your spirit name? Like, do you get a say in that? Uh, no, the elder will have a say in that during my uh, ceremony when I'm there. I have uh, zero problem uh, telling you I love you, brother, and uh, thank you for all you're doing, and thanks for for sharing your sh- story with us and, and for making us a part of your day. It's uh, It's been a privilege, as always. Not a problem at any time. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.